This morning I wanted to talk about righteousness. I think it's an important topic. Someone recently asked me, what is righteousness? And the question made me realize it had been a long time since I had talked about this topic. For much of my life, my understanding of righteousness had to do with living in a morally exemplary way. I understood it to mean that I should refrain and even distance myself from certain conduct. I thought that I was to behave in ways consistent with the commands of God found in the Bible. That I should obey the law of the land in which I live and abide by the rules of my church or religious denomination. For me, righteousness equated to clean living. We kind of celebrated that in our household. It was a, it was a thing <laughs> that we lived a clean life, that we were upright and upstanding people and that we, we behaved ourselves. And then I became a teenager. And that wasn't so easy anymore. The Oxford American Dictionary agrees with this definition of mine. It says that righteousness is the, the quality of being morally upright or justifiable. But this is self-righteousness, which is no righteousness at all. In fact, it is antithetical to the meaning of righteousness and interestingly, according to the origin of the word righteous, in the Old English, the meaning of the original word was a right manner or state or condition. And this definition is much closer to the mark. The Greek word rendered righteousness is dikaiosune, which I'm probably terribly mispronouncing. It means just, righteous. It means justice or righteousness. That which is just or something of, of one who is just or righteous. The sune ending on the Greek word makes it an abstraction. So not one who is righteous, but righteousness as a concept or idea or trait Righteousness, in the case of the believer, fulfills God's claims. And in the case of the non-believer, the claims of whatever higher authority they adopt as their own standard. So righteousness is conformity to the claims of higher authority and stands in opposition to lawlessness. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, righteousness is the state commanded by God and standing the test of His judgment. As we see in Ephesians 4.24 where we read, And that you put on the new man, which after God, like God in other words, is created in righteousness and true holiness. So it is conformity to all He commands or appoints. 
We kind of touched on this very briefly earlier today. God Himself is the standard against which righteousness is measured. God Himself is the standard against which righteousness is measured. The righteousness of God means the righteousness which belongs to God or to oneself from God or Godlike righteousness. Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Thus, righteousness in general is God's uprightness or God's standard without reference to any particular form of its embodiment to which man is expected to conform. This is important for us to keep in mind. Because the world tells us otherwise. You remember that original definition from the Oxford, from the Oxford Dictionary said, Righteousness is the quality of being morally upright or justifiable. In other words, you're behaving well. Day after day we are encouraged to judge good and evil, right and wrong. We hear that some politician is accused of misconduct, or we hear of an altercation between law enforcement and a citizen. We're prevented with, presented with a few allegations and urged to form an opinion about guilt or innocence. We're asked to form a judgment as to the righteousness of one over the other based upon their apparent conduct at one point in time. Righteousness doesn't work that way. Because it is God's standard and God's uprightness, none of our conduct can ever stand up to the test. The righteousness of God is the claim which God has upon man. In order for man to recognize and fully submit to that claim of God upon his life, he must receive God as God offers himself. And his righteousness to him as a gift. In other words, God presents himself in a certain way. Apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, for example. We have to accept Him on His terms, not ours. If we are to be righteous, we must accept His righteousness as a gift because we cannot attain it. We read about this gift of righteousness in Romans 5.17. It says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Righteousness is a gift. And as such, it cannot be earned or worked for in any way. Because it is a gift, it must simply be received. We can only accept the claims of God on our lives by placing our faith in Jesus Christ as our only claim to righteousness. Having done this, we become children of God. As we learn from John 1, 12 and 13, where we read, 
But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is spiritual birth. This is the way righteousness has always been provided. In Romans 4, 11-14, we find Abraham referenced as an example. It reads, And he, speaking of Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised. In other words, Abraham believed God before he was circumcised. The circumcision was just a way to show this. It was a way of, of marking, in a, in a sense. As a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. That's us, right? We believe. Though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. In other words, righteousness is set down to our account through this idea of belief through believing God, through, through trusting God, through agreeing that His standard is the standard and that we can't reach it so we can only just throw ourselves on His mercy as it were and trust that He will make us righteous. It goes on in verse 12, And the Father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but, also, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had, being yet uncircumcised. So he's talking there about us Gentiles, right? We were not the circumcision. That meant the Jews. We were, we were those uncircumcised Philistines, <laughs> basically. And we, and we who believe get to participate in this promise. For the promise, verse 13, that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect. Those are big words. Righteousness equates to pleasing God. In Romans 8, 8-10 we read this, so then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. This closes the door on self-righteousness. But there's good news in verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. That's the criteria. Now if any man have not the Spirit of God, he, Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body's dead because of sin. In other words, your old fleshly self, that old you that died at the cross with Christ, that's gone. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Did you get that? Why are you alive spiritually? Because of righteousness. Do you see it? You cannot be spiritually alive unless you meet the standard of God. 
You cannot meet the standard of God unless you receive it as a gift. It's not something you could ever achieve or attain. Righteousness is God's standard. If Christ is in you, the life of God is yours. And the reason it can be so is that you are righteous. Your righteousness in Christ is not based in any way whatsoever upon your conduct or your moral excellence. That is moralism, not Christianity. It has been imputed, this righteousness has been imputed or set down to your account. And it has been imparted, given as a gift, to you because you have been reborn by the Spirit of God Himself. You have God's seed. And God's seed is holy. We see this miraculous change in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 21. 17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then in 21 he says, For He has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That's Jesus. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Do you see that? You're in Christ. You must meet the criteria. You must be compatible. The only way to be compatible is that gift of righteousness that He gave you. And that's why Christ did what He did. So that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. It's God's righteousness that we have, but we truly actually have it such that we are truly actually righteous. We find this clarified in Romans 9. 30-32 to where Paul wrote this, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness? Even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, have not attained to the law of righteousness? Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by works of the law. See, we are not righteous because of anything we do or because of anything we refrain from doing. We are righteous because God made us righteous by spiritual rebirth. This is clear from passages like Ephesians 4.24, which we read earlier. And that you put on the new man, which after God, or like God, in the same manner as God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's you. Righteous and truly holy. Hagiadzos, set apart. Holy. Sanctified. Saints. They all use that same Greek word. The new you has been created in righteousness and true holiness. God is not faking Himself out. He is not simply calling you righteous. He's not looking at you through the blood of Jesus. That's what I grew up with. 
He's not looking at you, but actually seeing Jesus. He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. He knows all that. And He calls you righteousness. He, he calls you righteous. He says, you conform to His standard. The world defines righteousness as being morally upright or justified. And using this definition, they've created a standard of their own. Galatians 3, 21-22 says this. It's an interesting passage. It says, is the, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could, give, could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. In other words, if the law could have given life, then if you kept the law, you'd have life. You'd have righteousness. But the Scripture has concluded all under sin. That's what the law did. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. This means that the law was never meant to make anybody righteous. Indeed, even if someone had been able to keep all 613 Old Testament laws, the result would not have been righteousness. It isn't about that. It's never been about that. The law simply shows people that they are hopelessly sinful apart from Jesus Christ. The reason it was given was so that they would recognize this fact and put their faith in Jesus and that the promises of God would be delivered to them through Him. Do you see it? Scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. That's why the law was there. We see this point made in 2 Corinthians 1.20 which reads in part, For all the promises of God in Him, that is Christ, are yes and in Him, amen, to the glory of God. It is in Christ that the promises are delivered upon. Nevertheless, the world insists on setting up their own standard. Romans 10, 3 and 4 says it this way, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. The world does not submit itself to God's standard. Instead, they set up a standard of their own. This leads to conflict and pain in the world because not everyone agrees upon the standard. We see it every day, don't we? What's more, people find that they cannot keep their own standard and work to change it. Consequently, it ceases to be a standard and becomes a moving target, making it even further out of reach. Scripture tells us that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. This means there is no law that makes anyone righteous. 
because righteousness is conformity to the standard of God. Only God can make us righteous. We can only become righteous when we stop defining righteousness as rule-keeping or moral excellence and put our trust in Jesus' claim that He will give us the righteousness of God. Jesus gives us the righteousness of God by bringing about our spiritual rebirth, our spiritual recreation. Because we are born of God, we participate in His nature. We inherit traits from Him. One of those traits is conformity to His standard, and that's real righteousness. We can rest in the sure knowledge that we are indeed righteous. Ephesians 6.14 encourages us to stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. When we know the truth that we are righteous, as a matter of fact, we never need to doubt Father's love for us or blessing upon us. Stand, having your loins gird with the truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness protects your vital organs. And truth, well, that's the enemy's kryptonite. That's where he's weak. God is not faking himself out. God is not looking at us through Jesus' glasses. We are righteous, holy children of God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you have made an actual and real change in us, that you have recreated us, that we are not what we once were. We thank you that you sent Jesus to to show us who you are, to show us your love. We we thank you that, that, Father, though we could never meet your standard, you simply gave it to us as a gift. That when we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone for righteousness, that we meet your standard. And there's no question about it. And it's not something that changes. And we don't partly meet it. And we don't almost meet it. And we don't sometimes meet it. It just is our state. We thank you, Father, for this incredible gift. We pray that we would rely upon the truth of this as we go out and face the world and we're told over and over again that we're not good enough, as we're told over and over again that we've made a mistake and we're failing and you're upset and disappointed with us. We pray, Father, that we would remember that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That you're not faking yourself out. You're not looking at us through blood. You're not, you're not somehow you know, making it seem okay until we one day get to heaven and everything's good. But that we're good right now. And Father, being this way makes us just want to do godly things. It makes us want to live a godly life. And we pray, Father, that in those moments when we face choices, that we would remember this truth 
and choose wisely. Because, Father, we want to manifest you to the world. We want everyone to know the beauty, the love, the incredible compassion, the mercy that you have for all people, even those that we don't like very much. We pray these things in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.